Hey guys, welcome back to the Wine, Whiskey and Weed show. This is your host, Sid Patel, and I'm planning to bring back the show. You know, uh, sorry for the pause. We were all in the middle of COVID and uh, we're back to filming the show. I'll be meeting with a lot of key important people bringing you value. So uh, let's get started. Just before the show, you know, I just wanted to give a little shout out on uh, brands and, uh, you know, about the Bartender Spirits Awards. So for brands looking to get into the bars of USA, Bartender Spirits Awards is the place to be. This is where, you know, we rate and evaluate products which are the right fit for the bars. We send you review, we send you detailed feedback, you get a score breakdown, you get a tasting note, shelf talkers, and so on. So visit bartenderspiritsawards.com and take advantage of the super early bird pricing that's on. Yeah, the easier it is for me to put something right. on display, on sale, without having to jump through a lot of hoops, the more likely I'm going to do it. Yeah. Uh, because it's, of course, resources that, that we don't have to spend to, to make the program a success. Hi guys, welcome to the Wine, Whiskey and Weed Show. This is your host, Sid Patel, and today I'm with Bruce Abbott, Wine and Spirits Category Buyer for Brown Jig, Alaska. Thanks for coming, Bruce. It's my pleasure. Thanks for having me. Great. So uh, we're going to talk about, you know, uh, how to get into regional chains, the state of union, what's going on with wine and spirits industry, especially the, the states, you know, like Alaska, you know, what, what, what are the trends, post-COVID trends and so on. And most importantly, you know, how can brands uh, enter into this regional chains? What a buyer really wants, you know, as a support program. What are they looking for when they decide to take your product? Why do they take your product and how you can help as a supplier to them deplete the product, all right? So Bruce, uh, why don't you give uh, two, uh, you know, two minutes about your introduction, just a little history about yourself, what have you been doing, your role, and uh, we'll take it from there. Sure, so uh, I've been in the industry for a while. I got my start on the uh, on-premise before working for uh, a local distributor mm -hmm. in Alaska <laughs> for, for five years. Uh, opened my own uh, boutique shop that uh, ran for a while before moving to Brown Jug, which is a chain of 21 liquor stores uh, in Alaska, located in Anchorage, in Wasilla, Eagle River, and in, in Fairbanks. Uh, it's Alaska's largest liquor chain nice. and uh, carry a wide variety of, of products, about uh, 3,500 spirits. Well, and, and you take care of the buying for all the stores, like as a final? That's correct, yeah. Great. So all the product selections uh, and pricing, of course, is, is nice. what I take care of with uh, both the wine and the spirits. Super. And how long? You said 12 years in this role as a So I've been with Brown Jug <laughs> since 2013. I've been in the buyer role since 2015. Nice, nice. So uh, let's let's go back in the wine. You know, I'm sure metric for a spirit and wine would be a little different. But if I had to, you know, if I was a supplier, you know, what would you want from a wine buyer in their pitch? Like, what do you want them to cover when they introduce a new brand to you? But rather than just talking about the region and whatnot, what trade information you would prefer? Sure, and I think that's a really important point because so many times I'll get a pitch and it's all about you know the family or how right. the wine is made and the history of the region and that's all fantastic yeah. if i was a consumer yes um but that's information that they need to communicate to the consumer what i'm looking for is uh pricing yep. uh, i'm looking for what kind of point of sale supports are available mm -hmm. i'm looking for um what kind of exclusivity can i have with this brand mm -hmm. what can we use this brand for to differentiate our business from our, our competitors. Got it. And uh, 
also when we talk about pricing, not just you know case one pricing, yeah. but hey, we have a lot of stores. So what does that mean at 14 cases? What does that mean at 28? What does that mean at 56? What does it mean at you know uh, 256 cases? How do we uh, leverage our size to um, sell more of the product at a more attractive rate? Uh, rate to our Understood. consumers. <clears throat> so I guess, uh, you know, you would want to present uh, all options, you know, like if there was a three case display in 14 stores, here's what we'll do for you. If it was a, a case in each store on a shelf, here's what we would do for you and so on. I think one important point which you made is the differentiation factor, right? Because I think that that's important. Like how, how can, why would you be stacking this? Like what's you, what edge can supplier give you? So can you go in detail? Like what are the examples, you know, uh, like obviously one is I will not sell to anyone else in five miles, but what other options, uh, how can they? Sure, so uh, again, that's where kind of point of sale support comes okay. into play. Uh, also market support with our, um, our like store tastings? Yeah, so we can't do in-store tastings okay. in Alaska, um, but what we can do is partner say with a, an on-premise account Understood. and do a wine dinner there right. and, and do pre-orders to introduce that product to the, the market to get liquid to lips. Another big thing that makes a difference for me is when I talk to the supplier and they say, hey, and we'll send our brand rep or we'll send our winemaker up and um, train your staff yeah, on this yeah. product. And so that, um, again, uh, all this information, the story of the wine, when it's communicated to me, that's fine but I'm not the one that's gonna be directly talking to the consumers. Understood. And getting that information to uh, my wine stewards yep. at our stores, so they can then tell that story to the consumers, that's gonna result in the sell through that they're looking for. Got it. I think uh, just, I don't know if you know, but I come from a background of building wine as well. So I had my own brand and I you know, built a 200,000 case business. Uh, so one of the states like Oklahoma was similarly like this, where we had to, you know, can't do tasting, but I can do a tasting in a next door restaurant. So one of the things which you can really do is have a list of all the store locations where your wines or spirits are available. And then while you're doing your store tasting, you say, hey, you know, next time you want to purchase a case or a bottle, you can go into the stores. So what they're looking for is a foot traffic. You know, that's a great, I think number one is that where you can send a foot traffic and a pre-sold buyer, that will be good. And then you can use that as a pitch as well, that I'm doing this five restaurant tastings and we'll put your flyers. I think that will add a lot of value. Absolutely, and we get uh, a lot of business that way in, in doing pre-sales that yeah. way. So they go to the tasting and while they're at the tasting, while they've just yeah. had the wine, um, they actually mark down, hey, I want this many driving cases of it, and, yeah. right? And then we say, great, these cases are ready for the store. True. It builds a, uh, a visit for us course and uh, we get that wine in the hands of the consumer yeah no, true I, I remember that you know let's say you know someone's tasting I say okay you're gonna buy two bottles and then you keep right and then you go back to the buyer and say I've got five cases pre-sold you call the numbers you say it's now there and so on right yeah so great uh, what about let's say if things don't go well you, you have you got the placement fantastic right now let's talk about support uh, once your product is in the store what are the three main things that you think is ROI positive for suppliers as well and for you? Like, you know, where exactly they should put money to help you deplete? Sure. So with the case with a lot of smaller suppliers, they don't have the, the point of sale supports that the larger suppliers do. But there's some easy things that they can do to make it easy for me as a buyer to mm -hmm. run their product on, on feature. And that's just providing... Uh, 
case card files. It doesn't even have to be physical case cards, but they can say, hey, here's this something that you can print out using local printing resources okay. and put this on sale and have some really eye-catching, attractive uh, paper point of sale on this product to direct consumers for it. And that makes a big difference rather than uh, us having to try to scour um, their website for images and use yeah. our graphic design team to put something together. It's a lot of work to sell their product, True. right? When, um, if that was pre-prepared by them, that, uh, uh, that really helps out. Um, any sort of um, pulse pricing that they can do if they want. What's the pulse pricing, like this week off? So uh, more like, hey, we're going into the holidays, uh, we have this product, but we're going to offer it cheaper to you uh, during this time so that you can then offer uh, it at, of course, a reduced price to consumers during this time to, uh, of course, try to move through through some cases and get some uh, buy-in from consumers. All this um, has to do with presenting the, the, the brand to the, the consumer. And a lot, the biggest thing and something that we're, we were talking about today, of course, is um, the bottle has to be attractive to, Package. Yeah. to, the, to the consumer, uh, especially on lesser known products from smaller suppliers. You want to get in somewhere. Uh, what about the branded carton? How important focus do you, do you even pay attention? Uh, does it trigger your mind that, okay, this is a white carton? versus this is a branded carton, same price, would you prefer that? Because I'm sure- hundred percent. And honestly, and it's silly as well, but wood boxes make a huge, huge difference. You like right? it or no? Oh, absolutely. For the display? For the display, okay. yeah, Premiumization. right? So, and I'll pay a premium in, in price because I know I could stack, if I get a Bordeaux, right? And yeah. a, a white shipper plain box, or I'm paying five to $10 more, for the same wine in a wood box, I'll go for the wood package every single time because I know I can stack that and there's that impressional quality that the consumer will, uh, will have. Um, and going back to white label or you know white unbranded and branded, yep. if I'm going to display uh, a wine and have stackers in my stores, I of course am gonna want the, uh, the stacker that's going to uh, enhance the display True. instead of one that is completely blank. But if you do use plain white shippers, then ha have something like case sleeves, right? That yeah. you can use to cover those Correct. and make that an uh, attractive uh, display in the stores. Yeah. I mean, I, I firmly believe that the, the the easier you make, you know, life of a distributor and a retailer, you know, the sorting life, you know, the behind the scene life, <laughs> the better it is because they start liking you and likability factor is a super important. Thing. Yeah, the easier it is for me to put something Correct. on display, on sale, without having to jump through a lot of hoops, the more likely I'm going to do it. Yeah. Uh, because it's, of course, resources that, that we don't have to spend to, to make the program a cool. success. So uh, I think one of the things which I personally faced was, you know, just to get the first meeting. I mean, today, let's say, you know, uh, obviously the big brands and big distributors would have that leverage because they have that relationship, they've contributed dollars to your store, but a small guy, you know, how do they reach? Like, it's obviously tough to get an appointment with a, a regional buyer like yourself. Uh, what is the right way you would advise them to sort of just, if, if they're ready, if they think they're ready volume-wise, marketing-wise, everything, where do they start? Like, how do they find you, you know? I'm not asking you to give away your email, but I'm just <laughs> showing as a process. Let's say if you were a rep, what would you do to get into regional stores, the first thing, you know, how do you find these buyers? So, I think that's, that's a great question. And 
I think it's easier to say what not to do. And what Good I point. get a whole lot of times is I'll get a uh, case of wine or a case of spirits sent to me, samples without any without any introduction shipped to you. Yeah, just and and I have these bottles. There's no pricing to go oh. along with it. There's no information on it, and I'm left with the these items with no path forward. Right. Yeah. So I think the important thing is to always have a, a path forward to it. So make the introduction. Like cold uh, calls work. Like people can walk in and say, "When can I meet you?" <laughs> or, or it's harder for cold calls in Alaska. But uh, got it. Um, yeah, you know, people reach out via the email. And Just a standard hustle. Find your information. Try to luck of the draw and sort of thing. Yeah, I, I think the uh, um, important thing to, to realize with that is that I don't know the, the brand most of the times when right. it comes to me. I don't know the, the supplier. And what I see a lot of times, people say, great, we want to send you a container of product. Yeah. Right? And I'm like, I've never had these products in my store before. How do I commit to a container before I know a case will sell? Got so it. don't be afraid to start small. Say, hey, we want to start with a 14 case order. We oh. want to start with a 28 case order and see how these products will do in the store and build that relationship first instead of swinging for the fences right out the, the gate. Because um, it's easy for me to take a chance on a pallet it's not easy for me to take a chance on a container. And when you say, you know, uh, someone getting a placement, let's say a pallet, or let's say a case each goes on the shelf, you know, I normally, when I sold, I took the pressure to make sure that that 12 bottles are sold through in like two weeks max. So I'll come and do two tastings, Fridays and Saturdays, and boom, done. And then I get my three cases and slowly I start building. How would you judge? Like, this is good, this is not good. If supply did nothing, and if the wine took, 18 days to go versus 80 days? Like, what's your thing which defines bad out, never want to see it again? So my metric for the chain, and to be fair, we have quite a few stores, really the, the break even for a product like that where it's not, say, a halo item that we're just going to have in the store anyway, I want to see a, at least one bottle move out of the chain every day. Every right? day? Yeah. At least one bottle. So, I mean, if a, if a rep came back next week to see you and ask for an order or just to check out and there is zero movement, I think they should do something about it, right? Like they should themselves feel, otherwise they're going to lose that whole trust Absolutely. Thing. And that means that, hey, they can be in, in the store to do some consumer education yeah. or, as I said before, they talk to the, uh, the wine stewards and offer some wine education to the wine stewards, gets the wine stewards behind that wine and then it's going to go. If we have people that are interested and excited about the product in the store, interacting with customers, that wine will sell. Got it, got it. Cool, so uh, just a couple of last questions. You know, we'll uh, go into the trends. You know, what do you think is trending? Like, what, what are you planning to buy in the next three to four months? You know, what, what do you think is popping out, including spirits? I, I obviously know bourbon, tequilas are hot, but maybe your side of the town, what's going on? Sure. So. Uh, on the the wine side, we continue to see the trend toward people looking for, I'd say, products that give off, off a sense of authenticity. Um, and we continue to see the 15 to 25 to 30 range uh, really blow up compared to, the, compared to the lower range, nice. right? We're not seeing our growth in the, the lower end of the market. We're seeing it in that 15 to 30 uh, area where people seem much more confident on, on picking up those, uh, those products. In Alaska, we are not 
a very import focused market. Okay. We're very much domestic, but we are so like California, Oregon, Washington, California, Oregon, and Washington for sure. Probably have a little bit larger of a, a Washington um, market just because of our proximity and the uh, uh, ease of getting those those products to the Alaska mm -hmm. market. But what we're starting to see is people looking for things from some countries that uh, aren't usually a big part of our, our product mix. Uh, Portugal, mm -hmm. for example, uh, we see more people uh, going for. What's interesting to see is uh, uh, Tanat from Uruguay, okay. people starting to ask for that. So um, I, I think people are looking for those more uh, unique products. Certainly natural wine is something that more people are asking for, though it's not the phenomenon in Alaska that you'd find in the in the lower 48. Okay. Uh, as far as spirits go, uh, as you mentioned, tequila is huge right now. Yeah. Whiskey, of course, continues to be uh, incredibly strong. Uh, but rum, especially aged is rum, okay. tends to, it seems to be uh, on an upswing for us. And I think that when we look at the, the bourbon craze and the whiskey craze in general, there's so many similarities uh, when it comes to uh, brown spirit in the, in the form of, of a drum. And yeah. so I think there's incredible crossover potential to introduce some of these whiskey fans to yeah. some of these aged rums, especially the ones that have a little bit uh, less sugar added to them, uh -huh. um, where they're going to find those uh, similarities on the palate. Super. So uh, great. I mean, appreciate the tips. Uh, have you got any finishing uh, comments uh, to the brands trying to you know, grow distribution into uh, regional chains? Yeah, so what has really uh, allowed us to bring a lot of stuff into to Alaska is when they come to us, they say, hey, we're a smaller brand. We're not gonna be in the Fred Meyers, the Costco's, the Kroger's of the, the Safeways of the world. Um, but we know we can be successful with you. Got it. And they say, we'd like to be in the on-premise in this market, but you know we'll let you take this brand um, and build it exclusively at, uh, at your regional chain. And that allows us to really make a commitment to it because Got again, it. it allows us to have that point of differentiation when sure. we can say, hey, we're the only ones that have this brand uh, in this market at this time and essentially use it as a control brand. Yeah. And um, because we also are okay with that being the, the on-premise. That's only a bonus for us. Yep. Um, a lot of brands uh, are happy with that arrangement and uh, we're able to do some, some really good business. And if you want to be a big brand that's gonna get that Costco deal, you know, it's probably not the solution for you. Yeah. But if you're a brand that just wants to, to grow and get into some other markets, there's a lot of other regional chains similar to Brown Jug across yeah. the country that uh, I think would be interested in those kind of relationships. Yeah, great. I think, I think most of these uh, regional chains would fit in exactly this kind of things where they would want to position it this way. I think you perfectly said it that if you are the little medium big chain where the super big chains are not stacking that product, that, that would make more sense. And exclusivity comes in many forms like control. I, I think it's a different subject, but control uh, programs are very different. But this is, this is a great control program which brands can offer you just you as an on-trade, off-trade and then on trade a lot, so yeah.